Where might UCLA go if a Dembona does, doesn't come back? What's going to happen? I'm not entirely sure, but I do have an idea who they've reached out to. A 611 product from the Midwest. Let's talk about them on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Yoxheimer. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Locked On UCLA. Thanks for making it your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast. Download, listen, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever it is. It's got it's on all the podcast platforms. Become an everyday listener. We've got some big content coming over the Memorial Day weekend because players have to decide if they're coming back or not. And watch this on YouTube. Comment and subscribe on the YouTube channel as well. So kind of diving in a little bit deeper here, I've been teasing for a long time at Dembona, Jalen Clark, a couple of UCLA basketball players have to make a decision coming up May 31st, whether they forego the NBA draft or they decide to stay in and become a professional basketball player, thus ending their collegiate careers. Clark looks like he might come back considering he's got a more uh, devastating injury with the Achilles injury. Then you've got a Dembona who's got the injured shoulder, or the, the labrum injury, in which case we're going to kind of focus on him more today than, say, Jalen Clark. So who's that player UCLA might go after? Well, in my mind, I think what is important first is if a Dembona decides to stay or go. And this also is going to accompany with the, is going to couple with the fact that UCLA is interested in a Deamara. This guy whom I'm about to mention, which I've just read from Inform, more of a North Dakota-based site. Hey, that's a hint right there. Um, if they don't get a Demara and or if a Dembona decides to stay in the draft process and become a pro prospect fully, then they may not go after this guy. Those are the things they have to wait on. But initially, those are the things maybe holding up this recruitment, although who I'm about to talk about, Grant Nelson, North Dakota State 6'11 junior, hit the portal. He is currently going through the NBA draft process as well. And reading this article from Inform, posted May 25th, earlier in the morning, and he's had 33 schools reach out to him. Grant Nelson, he's got a list that includes San Diego State, Miami, Kansas, Villanova, Baylor, Gonzaga, UCLA, and Houston. So you've got Final Four participants, you've got national champions, and you've got a lot of Blue Bloods digging in at this coveted recruit. Anywhere from all the Power 5 schools, Power 6 schools, whatever it is in college basketball, are foaming at the mouth for this prospect in Grant Nelson, who's got two years of draft eligibility, technically will be a senior coming up, and may have to decide whether he wants to go to college basketball, pull out of the portal, go back to Fargo, stay in the portal, and then go to another school or go to the NBA draft. Seemingly, it looks like he will not go back to North Dakota State. Taking a look at his numbers from the last season, this is who is a, a 6'11", 235-pound prospect, could be listed at 6'10", depending on what site, what numbers, what height numbers you use. Had good numbers in college basketball last year. Grant Nelson, almost 18 points per game, 17.9 points per game, 9.5 rebounds, just over 2.5 assists, or 2 assists per game, nearly 2 blocks per game, and close to getting a steal per game on average. 
is quote-unquote, according to 24-7 Sports, projected to be a high-impact piece on both ends of the floor. And you see a lot of that talk, right? Oh, Ademar, he's going to be someone who can play on both ends of the floor. Lazar Stefanovic, he's someone who can pass well, shoot the ball well. He's a guy that can play defense on both ends of the floor. Nelson was a ball handler at the at 6'10", 6'11", with a 17.5 assist rate percent assist rate last year. He shot 60% inside the arc, eh, 27% from downtown, not particularly appetizing, but a 71% free throw shooter listed as a, a playmaking four and could potentially be a rim protector that might earn him minutes at the five. If he does come to UCLA, if UCLA for some reason recruits this player who is not maybe leaning towards UCLA, I haven't seen a lot of things, but this is a guy who could replace a Bona. Or if you get Mara, or if you don't get Mara and you have Bona, you get Nelson as a taller four, you stick Bona as a smaller five, as a rim protector, you let Nelson sneak out as the four, Bona as the post, and that is how the Bruins could operate. That is only if, in this scenario, for this Devil's Lake, North Dakota native who shows some playmaking skills, according to a Western Conference executive telling in this article I'm reading, he's a good college player, size, motor, athleticism, and while he isn't a great shooter for the modern big in, day, in the day and age, he can try and develop those skills coming up in recent times. So while there weren't any projections for UCLA necessarily coming up in recent years, in, in, uh, in this article posted in May, the Inform article said UCLA's put out a feeler, and this article was dropped recently, and NIL might be a big impact thing for him considering he can make a lot more money playing elsewhere from Fargo if he decides to continue his college career and stick in the transfer portal. While all indications show that Nelson wants to stay in the draft, if he comes back, test the draft again next year, then UCLA could be trying to get somebody who could replace a Bona or if Mara's situation for some reason falls through, which while it's not solidified in anything I've seen yet, it could, you never know in this day and age with college athletics and especially how they couldn't get the Turkish big man in over for the last season. This is somebody who in Grant Nelson could really affect the game. Some size, give UCLA some big time size, might not be seven, three, like a day Mara, but you could have Nelson from North Dakota be that 6-10-4, shift Bona to the, or, you know, keep Bona at the five, and just add on from there with Kenneth Nuba coming in off the bench and the Bruins continuing to grow from that aspect. Nelson would have a couple years. Mara would probably be a one and done, is what all the expectations are. But that's just what's translating. This is something I'm thinking about for what UCLA could do. And I wonder what you guys think if you want to hit it in the comments, if you want to go and hit us on at Locked On Bruins. Those are some thoughts I'm thinking of because while Nelson continued to read all the, all the stuff I've seen, he's got impressive test numbers at the combine. But when you go to the scrimmage, right, I talked about this with Amari Bailey. Hawkins had those good numbers, right, the ranginess, the athleticism, the, the vertical leap was good for Jaime Hawkins. But for Amari Bailey, it was the eye test because he was so good in the scrimmages, scoring a lot of points, showcasing the passing ability, the underrated passing ability from the guard position for Bailey, which he wasn't able to fully showcase, in my opinion, in his college game. Now you look to Grant Nelson. He is not somebody who fully got the opportunity to dominate the scrimmage, although he has good numbers 
coming from the Summit Conference. And some might say, well, the Summit Conference, what is that? That's where Oral Roberts came from, North Dakota State, uh, usually a perennial power in that conference. But Grant Nelson, a 6'10 North Dakota product, who all the big schools are wanting to get after. If he comes back out of the draft, he is going to be a coveted prospect. At the recording of this podcast, there has not been any indication if he's at some school or if he's coming out of the draft or whatever it is. The preference is he may stay in the draft and the Bruins might get Bona and Clark back, might get a Damar, and it might be all said and done. But the clock is ticking. All these players have to make incredibly tough decisions about their future, which could impact them one way or the other. NIL makes it a little bit easier to come back to school and make some more money where you might flame out early on as a pro prospect with NBA dreams. Those are all things to think about. Grant Nelson is somebody who could replace Bona or Mara if either situation falls through. There's no way he would come to UCLA from what I see if you get all those guys and Clark doesn't come back. It's only if one of the two big men expected to go to UCLA, either coming back from the draft or coming over from Spain as a freshman in the class of 23. That is the only scenario where Grant, one or two scenarios in where Grant Nelson becomes a Bruin. Coming up, we're going to talk about a UCLA goat. I saw some stats on Twitter and I just wanted to lay some down. I know it was, I don't really remember who tweeted it out, but we got to talk about a UCLA goat and hype them up as much as we still have them with us because why not? Who is it? We'll talk about it coming up next after I tell you more about bird dogs. Bird dogs are the most comfortable shorts. Anytime I get the opportunity to, I'm wearing bird dogs. I'm currently out of town, working hard, picking up everything, moving things out, sweating outside, and I'm wearing my bird dog shorts. They are extremely comfortable. They can be hot, humid. I can be chilling on the couch. They're super comfortable. I could be on a plane. I'm putting them on because they are extremely comfy. You know, next time a date happens, I'm going bird dog shorts. Not, not going with jeans, not going with anything else. I'm putting on bird dog shorts, which is why you must go right now to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Use the promo code locked on college and get a Yeti sized tumbler with your order as a bonus. Again, bird dogs, extremely comfortable. They make you look great. And hey, they're amazing. You can get your inseams. It's, you just got to trust me on this one, guys. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college and you'll thank me later. Cruising on. In Locked On UCLA, Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer, messing with the wrong settings here if you're watching on YouTube. We just talked about a day Mara and Jalen Clark and Dumbona, Grant Nelson. And now we're cruising on into segment two, talking more about who is this guy? Who is this goat? Right? Who is this who's this goat that we want to highlight today on Friday of all days? A flashback Friday. Well, I saw some numbers and some notes that I wanted to highlight for you guys. We might talk a little UCLA football too, but first I want to talk about some ridiculous numbers. You guys probably know these. Maybe you don't have them on the top of your head and you, maybe you don't remember these numbers. They've probably been shown on a screen or uttered on other radio programs or podcast programs before. And from the college basketball report account tweeted out about a day ago from the recording of this podcast Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who at the time was Luau Sindor when he was a UCLA Bruin. In three years, I just figured, hey, we have got to shout out Kareem for his numbers when he was before Kareem as a UCLA Bruin. 88-2 was his career record in three seasons because he couldn't play as a freshman. The all-important you know, joke, if you could play as a freshman, 
he would be the greatest basketball player of all time, even though these numbers already prove he is the greatest basketball, college bat, whatever it is. You can have your debates about the Michael Jordans, LeBron James, Kobe, all these different things. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he was a Bruin, is Luau Sindor, comes in 88-2 in three years at UCLA because freshmen couldn't play back in the day for whatever reason. Yes, there are reasons, but we're, you know, in this day and age, now we have freshmen who play one year and they leave. Three-time national champion. That's a, uh, I'm going to walk in, step in, dominate, and bounce. Three-time national player of the year. Three-time MOP, MOP stands for Most Outstanding Player, generally given to the best player in the Final Four, National Championship game, whatever it may be. Three-time unanimous, All-American first team, unanimous. Remember that word, three times he played three seasons, it wasn't even a thing. And you know how a lot of times these days, we get so bent out of shape talking about, oh, this guy was a unanimous this, this. Kareem? Then Luau Sindor, hey, he is so good, we cannot even debate his greatness, is what they're talking about back then. Three-time all-tournament team, three-time all-pack, three-time Pac-8 champion, because remember, Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12, and then who knows what the conference's future is going to be in the future. What does that mean? It might crumble and fall when UCLA and SC go to the Big Ten. Who knows? It may not if things don't work out in the Big Ten. It's just... That's how it is. Three-time All-Pac-8 conference. And these are even some incredible numbers. I haven't even told you his averages. Those were just accomplishments. In three years, he averaged 26.5 points per game, 15.5 rebounds per game. Oh, by the way, he shot nearly 64% from the field. And he was just a young superstar budding to go become an an all-time NBA great in, in his eventual pro future, whether it be with the Bucks, whether it be with the Lakers, he was an outstanding, as some might say, the GOAT. We talk about all these great players. My father will tell me all the time, hey, yeah, you got Michael Jordan was cool, but Kareem dominated at basically every level at multiple stops. If Kareem showed up, he was winning championships and the best player on the team because he was so dominant with the skyhook. And while I wasn't necessarily blessed with the opportunity to watch him live ever in my young lifetime, because I'm a youngster, those numbers pretty much stack up top to bottom as an absolute GOAT type material. I don't think, if you guys can put in the chat, yes, I know Bill Walton had a great career, all these other great Bruins, great basketball players. Who is your GOAT? I think these numbers are just ridiculous. I saw them, I sat, I pondered. 88 wins in 90 games in three seasons. Could you imagine anybody staying three years nowadays and doing that? Three national championships, 26.5 points per game, 15.5 rebounds. He's just unstoppable, let alone the freshman year stories where they were so dominant they could beat UCLA's other teams, right? So remember that when you think about greatest players of all time in basketball, athletes, whatever it may be. Remember UCLA's got some of the greatest athletes. One of these days, I'm going to put up an episode about the greatest all-time athletes and rank them in UCLA history, and it's going to be impossible. You've got the greatest, most influential, most impactful players across all of college athletics who eventually went on to have great pro careers. And you guys may know who I'm talking about. We can have that list and debate another day. But Kareem has to stack atop the list amongst the, the short list, the Mount Rushmore of UCLA greats, men or women. 
But hey, I saw that. I got fired up. And for some reason, we're talking about goat potential. Cruising on into segment three of Locked On UCLA. And hey, what's going on with UCLA baseball? Well, their season is basically over. Not officially because at the dropping of this podcast, the NCAA tournament field will not be released. They generally do that on Memorial Day, the Monday, early in the morning on you know ESPN or 2 or 3, whatever, whatever channel they want to put it on nowadays. And UCLA went to the Pac-12 tournament, which was their only hope for making the NCAA tournament. No projection has been anywhere close to getting in the field. The Bruins went 1-1 one one in their two-game Pac-12 tournament, and they lost one, blowing a lead yet again to USC. They're up 4-1 through four innings, gave up a couple of runs, and lost 6-4 to four to USC on May 23rd. The next day, they went up and dominated Washington. They blew them out 17-4, to four, and in the Pac-12 tournament, because they want to say pitching, it was a, a mercy rule game where it finished in seven innings, they won 17 to 4, but because of the Pac 12 tournament's stupid new rules that in not a double elimination format where they have two four teams, you double elimination, you build your way to the championship game. No, we've got to include almost everybody and decide hey, let's have three pools of three, have three pool champions, and then pick the best of the rest of the teams to advance to a four-team semifinal and eventual champion in single elimination style. If none of that makes sense, let's break it down this way. UCLA went one and one. USC went one and one. They're in the same pool. Washington went one and one. They all beat and lost to each other. It was the only pool in A, B, or C in the Pac-12 tournament where none of the teams had an undefeated record. There was not a single team that went 2-0. Oregon went 2-0. Arizona, shockingly, the lowest seed, or the lowest seed to advance, the eighth team out of 11 Pac-12 teams, went 2-0 at a bracket that included ASU and Oregon State. So those were two pool winners. Then you had Washington, USC, and UCLA. And mind you, let's not forget, you have a pool winner, then you have the best runner-up, both advancing. So theoretically, UCLA with a one and one record had two chances to advance to the next round of the Pac-12 tournament. Well, that's not what happened because UCLA lost to USC despite dominating Washington. The, the Bruins found themselves on the short end of the stick. Stanford advanced despite losing to Oregon 8-6 to six in extra innings, blowing multiple leads late in that game up at 1.6-2, 6-4 in the ninth inning. So if you're kind of confused still about this Pac-12 tournament, three divisions of three teams, nine teams making a tournament already sounds stupid in an 11-team Pac-12 baseball season because Colorado doesn't have a baseball team. Then you have the top three winners advance and the runner-up advance. Not splitting it with eight or making the top four teams or even having six teams advance. Arguably, sometimes you just wonder – who organizes tournaments and thinks this is the best for TV, this makes the most sense? I'm ranting right now because I have to. What makes this make sense? I, I don't get it, and I never will. You can have four teams, six teams, heck, even eight teams, which is a little bit ridiculous in a single elimination format. But pool play and then semifinals and a final, all the just have it happen in a week span. I'm not sure why you're making all these teams. Go to Scottsdale, Arizona, just to play two games, win one, lose one, 
and just have it go on a tiebreaker. It seems very dumb to do that. That's probably why the Pac-12 is crumbling and UCLA and USC are going to the Big Ten. That is literally the reason why all of this is happening. In the meantime, let's get to back to the main point. My whole rant there aside, UCLA won and lost the Pac-12 tournament to SC. They then beat Washington, but their season's done. It ends on a win. Not many teams can say in a postseason format that doesn't include an NIT of sorts that you win in the postseason and your season ends on a high note, a dominant high note, and your season ends. They are 28-24-1. They ended up 12-16-1 in conference, 19-9-1. UCLA, over the last, say, month of the season, just could not string any series wins together. Losing since the UC Davis series in mid-April to SC two out of three, to Stanford two out of three, swept at home by Cal, who at the time of that was the worst team in the Pac-12, losing two out of three in a must-win series at home to Oregon State, losing two out of three to ASU, terrible injuries in the pitching staff, so much going against them this year, and yet it just did not work out for the Bruins. Lots of good, lots of bad. Just for UCLA, it ended up not being the case of anything good. The Bruins had some highlights. We'll go more in depth about that, but their season is over. Don't expect him to see him on Selection Monday, if you will, for college baseball. A winning record, yes, but a disappointing year for a team that had pretty decent statistics pitching-wise. Okay bats this year. They just couldn't string together at the right time of the year with a stupid Pac-12 tournament. The Bruins' baseball season is done. Softball's done. So all we got to do is wait for some football, base, basketball news, and all that good stuff to rile us up even more. More in-depth baseball kind of analysis going forward. UCLA lost. Sorry to end it on a downer this season, but they ended on a win with a winning record. That's all you can ask for, unfortunately. I'm Zach Anders, Yoxheimer. Still imploring you to be an everyday listener for Locked On UCLA because Adem Bona, Jalen Clark, maybe a day more, all either coming to UCLA or returning to UCLA within the next week, I think. Bona and Clark have to make that decision on May 31st. Mara, a little bit more complicated situation in terms of it's still a recruitment and an international guy and everything in between. Otherwise, for UCLA, got to stick with Locked On UCLA, making this your first listen every day. Become an everydayer, baby. Become an everydayer and everyday listener of the podcast. I'm Zach Anderson, Yox. I'm saying so long. Enjoy everything. Hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U C L A. UCLA fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.